Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. And uh, thank you again for the team for leading. Uh, Before we dive into the word this morning, I just want to kind of echo and repeat that announcement for next Sunday. Uh, You know, over the last couple of years, we have had a, a focus on the Lunar New Year, and it's been an incredible time and just a great time of learning and connecting. Uh, but we've also, when I say we, the pastoral team, as we meet and discuss what happens, what we're doing, what we're planning, uh, over the last couple of weeks when we were talking about what we should do next week, uh, it dawned on us that this congregation is made up of multiple cultures and and people from literally all over the world. Uh, And so with sort of the Lunar New Year as the springboard and the launch pad, we decided, well, instead of just focusing on one, let's honor, let's celebrate, let's acknowledge all of our varied cultures. Uh, And so next Sunday is really an excuse to do what Baptists do best. When we meet, we eat. That's what happens. Uh, so I encourage you. I mean, you know, in case you might be sitting back going, well, you know, I don't know, or maybe I don't have a particular culture. Uh, you do. Uh, bring something. Bring enough to share next Sunday. We'll have some of the children kind of taking part and, and with some entertainment. Some of the stuff will happen in the service as we celebrate one another. Uh, so make sure you're here next week. Make sure you bring something to share. Uh, although don't worry, if you get here and you forgot, we'll still invite you. We'll still let you come and watch. No, I'm joking. You'll be able to come and eat with us as well. Uh, I was out, you know, while we're on that thought, I was, uh, Cindy and I were out on Friday night with some of the parents from our kids' school uh, enjoying some stuff, and we had to bring some appies to share. So I brought a true South African sausage. We call it buravos. And I brought this true South African sausage, uh, and it was tucked into like there was no, no tomorrow, really. So on behalf of all of you here, uh, to my fellow South Africans, you can a bit of work. Okay. Trust me, you're going to enjoy it. If they bring what I told them to bring, you're going to love it, and you bring your thing as well. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of Luke. And this morning, we continue in our journey in Luke. Uh, today we're continuing in Luke chapter 11, and as we dive into the Word, I, I was reminded of my time as a youth pastor. Before going into the senior pastorate, that was kind of where I started out in youth ministry. Uh, it wasn't that I was waiting to become a real pastor. Uh, youth pastors often get a bad rap, and you know people ask them, when are you going to become a real pastor? Uh, no, 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 that is real pastoral work. In fact, sometimes it's more difficult than the senior pastor because, you know, you're not only working with teenagers, you're working with their parents as well. So pray for Jason as our youth pastor. Uh, But as a youth pastor, we used to have to do all sorts of crazy fundraising things because, well, let's be honest, often the youth don't get the biggest portion of the budget uh, that goes somewhere else. And so we have to do crazy things to raise funds. And so one year I decided that it would be really cool to get a couple of those bouncing castles that you fill up with air, put them into our activity hall, and have a 24-hour bounce-a-thon and have kids bouncing for 24 hours on these jumping castles. And we'll set them up in a roster and rotation. And, we're, and it was awesome. 
except those kids were finished by the end. I had one mom come and ask me in all seriousness if there had been drugs at that event because she had never seen her child looking this bad. And I sort of said, well, you know, 24 hours lack of sleep and jumping is going to do that to your kid. But what I found fascinating in that bounce-a-thon was when we played music, we, you know, we had music kind of going on most way through the 24 hours. When we played loud, high-tempo, energetic music, the kids would respond in like. And they would be high energy and they would be thrashing about and they would be tackling one another and jumping on one another and just, you know, there was fun but pandemonium. And then every now and then the music would kind of quieten down and we'd play some calm, more mellow music. And the kids would respond in the same way. They, they would be calm and mellow and relaxed. And it, it didn't, you know, I didn't think much of it until pondering it years later and realized, but that makes sense. We often respond to the influences and the things we consume. And, and what happens around us dictates how we do. And we go, yeah, yeah, of course, we see that in effect. It's the same as small children. You've probably had this when you had young children. They would watch a movie, uh, and then after the movie, they would try and emulate. You know, so if they watched like some martial art movie, they would try and kick and punch their siblings straight after it because they've just learned all these new techniques. Kids are influenced by what they hear, what they see, what, what happens around them. But I wonder if it's more than just children that are influenced. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Luke 11. And we're going to overlap a little bit. So from last week, we read from the beginning of Luke onwards. Uh, I want to pick up at verse 24. And Jesus speaking to the crowds around him. At verse 24 onwards, he says, When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now, something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. 
Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shine, shines its light on you. I made mention last week, and I echo it again this week. The ministry of Jesus requires choices. Indeed, the most basic choice in life. And as we saw last week, you either choose Jesus Christ or you reject him. There's no neutral middle ground when it comes to Jesus as though he's some good moral teacher in the distance. As Jesus himself said in verse 23 of Luke chapter 11, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And this portion of Luke, immediately after verse 23, underscores that point of how crucial it is to make the right decision when it comes to Jesus Christ. As we will see, Jesus doesn't force the decision. Jesus leaves it up to us, but a decision nonetheless is still required. So what does Jesus do in this passage of Scripture? Well, it starts with an illustration in verses 24 to 26. Jesus then gives a beatitude in verses 27 to 28. He issues a warning, and then he follows it up with an exhortation. And that illustration that he begins with, that story or passage from verses 24 to 26 of an impure spirit that is cast out of a person. And this impure spirit goes and wanders in arid places, as Jesus says. And like any aimless wanderer, it kind of goes, well, hold on. I was more comfortable back where I was. Let me go and see if there's still something there for me. And so the spirit goes back and realizes, hey, the home is empty. They kicked me out. They cleaned it up, but they didn't put an alarm system in. I'm going to go get some friends, and we're going to have a house party. And we're going to trash this place and leave it in a worse state than it was before that spirit was thrown out. And the point is quite simple. Jesus is saying refusing to respond to God's grace is not a matter of being neutral, but of remaining in destructive hands. If I'm not in the hand of God under his protection with his grace and his favor, well, then I'm under the hand of Satan and under his influence. And some of you might remember a couple of months ago when I spoke about this topic in the supernatural realm and in the spiritual realm, how we as Christians cannot be demon-possessed because possession is ownership and we are owned by Christ. We are protected by God. We cannot be possessed and owned, but we can be influenced and we can be oppressed and we can be demonized. And when we open ourselves up through the media that we consume, through the practices we keep, anything that is not of light but of darkness, so we put ourselves in that place where there is potential for destruction. And so Jesus gives this illustration and he says, be aware, be aware. And while he's giving that illustration, this little beatitude comes in. A woman declares the praises of the womb that carried Jesus and the bosom that nursed him. And it's a cultural reference, as I alluded to last week. Her honor was due the family of this wise teacher. 
They lived in a, in a culture that acknowledged here is somebody great, somebody who's wise, somebody who's teaching, somebody who's power and influence. So let's honor the family. And this woman declares, blessed be that woman. And Jesus transforms that declaration into his beatitude. And he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And Jesus is saying, real blessing has nothing to do with my family line or your family line. Real blessing has nothing to do with your name, where you come from. Real blessing has to do with how you respond to me and my word, to me and my teaching. Real blessing are for those who hear the word of God and who apply it. The doers. Those who would dare read the, G- the words of Jesus and then live by them. And that's still true for you and I today. In fact, if we just took the Sermon on the Mount, let's not get too carried away with the entire corpus of Scripture, but if we just took the Sermon on the Mount and would dare to live that out, the world would be a different place. And Jesus says, that for whom blessing is reserved, those who hear and do the word of God. But then he gives a warning. And he has to give a warning in the midst of his teaching. He points out by giving a little history lesson that this generation around him is a depraved generation. They're a wicked generation. They're just looking for signs. They hear of the miracles and so they kind of want to see some more. Hey, Jesus, do that cool trick you did the other day. You know, it blew me away and I brought my friends. I want them to be blown away. Don't worry about the teaching. Do the stuff. And Jesus goes, this is a wicked generation that looks for a sign. And he he points to history. Talks about Jonah and the queen of the south and her response to Solomon's wisdom. And of course, as we alluded to last week, the comparison between the son of man and of Jonah is not actually about Jonah's three days in the belly of the fish. Verse 32 makes it clear Jonah's preaching was the issue. The sign is a call to repent, and that's what the people of Nineveh did. They responded to the teaching of Jonah. They repented to his preaching. And then reinforcing this idea that it was Jesus' teaching as the main issue, Jesus gives this picture of the Queen of the South who visited Solomon. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 10 or 2 Chronicles chapter 9. The Queen of the South who hears of Solomon's wisdom and travels thousands of miles to come and hear his teaching. And Jesus points out, now in your hearing, someone greater than both Jonah and Solomon is here. And indeed, the teaching is so much greater. What will you do with the teaching? The people of Nineveh, the queen of the south, will stand in judgment of those who miss the teaching of Jesus Christ. And the remark is a warning. To refuse Jesus is to face rejection in judgment and the condemnation of previous generations who understand the unique opportunity that Jesus' teaching provides. And then finally, Jesus gives an exhortation. Jesus compares his teaching to a lamp, which in the ancient world was typically a candle and occasionally some sort of oil lamp. One doesn't go into the efforts of lighting a lamp in order to place it where its light is covered. It goes on a lampstand where it can give light, and that's just logical. 
you've ever had a power outage or a power failure and you know, oh, we need some lights and so you go grab a flashlight, or you go grab a candle or something like that or a lamp, you don't light it and then hide it in a cupboard. People would assume you need to get your head red. You light a lamp so that it shines light. You put it out so that it can show where to go and what to do. But not only does light have to be lit and put out, it has to be received by the eye. And this is the juxtaposition of this image with the previous one. And it suggests the need to draw on the light that Jesus provides. More specifically, the teaching of Jesus. And to push that point further, it's the reception and application of Jesus' teaching. What the eye lets into the mind makes up the person. When those eyes are good, letting in light, then the person is full of light and reflects that light. But if the eyes are bad, letting darkness come in, then that body is a dark place. And Jesus therefore calls us to be people full of light. As a, fundal, a fundamental sorry, image, it indicates that without God's presence, only darkness prevails. There is no automatic inner light as far as Jesus is concerned. And so we have to be careful what comes in, what illumines or darkens. And Jesus' recommendation is be filled with the light of my teaching. So what? What do we do with that? A fantastic little uh, illustration and story and beatitude and warning or exhortation. How do we live? How do we respond to what we've read? Well, this passage highlights, firstly, our need to respond to Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it very clear throughout the Gospels that he will not compel anyone to choose to follow him or respond to his teaching. He simply gives the invitation and the opportunity and then notes that those who choose to reject him or who choose to reject his teaching will be responsible for that decision. One may indeed reject the light of life that he offers, even though that rejection costs dearly. In responding to this offer of Christ or in responding to the truth, Daryl Buck says the following, When talking about theology, the truth of God in Jesus Christ, he says, as the church has presented it, is not just a matter of truth, but just as important, a matter of accountability and responsibility. This is why Jesus calls his teaching light. It illuminates and shows the way. The refusal to walk in its path means that one is free to negotiate life in the darkness with all the rights, privileges, and obstacles that such darkness sets in its way. You can choose to walk in the light of Christ by taking and listening and doing His Word. Or you can choose to reject and ignore it and be free to walk in the darkness. But you are not free to avoid the accountability and the responsibility of those decisions. And so the application of Jesus' claim to reveal light and of his call to be careful how we respond to God's presence and revelation is to take seriously his claim that he offers light. And we will be held responsible to what we choose and to how we respond to the wisdom of Jesus' teaching. 
Kerry Newhoff made the comment this past week. He said, the goal of any Christian should never to be fi- to find a church... You- Sorry, my throat. <clears throat> Let me start that again. The goal of any Christian should never be to find a church that you like and sit in the back row. No offense to the back row. <laughs> the goal should be to fully engage the mission. I.e., what Carrie is saying is the goal of Christians is not just to go, well, I like the message, I like what I hear, I'm going to sit. No, the goal is to respond to it and to live in light of that teaching and to engage in the mission of Christ to go and impact the world, to go and present and proclaim and share Jesus with others. You know, this, this passage is quite easy to misread, especially in light of Matthew 5, verse 16. In Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before all men, so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so a quick cursory reading of what Jesus is saying here might lead us to think, Okay, I've, I've got to do the works. I've got to let my light shine. And yes, there's an element of that, but that's in Matthew. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is that there is light. That light is my teaching. That light is my word. Therefore, what will you do with my word? How will you respond to my teaching? And to press it further, what Jesus is saying is, what will you look at? What will you dwell on? What will you think about? What will you contemplate? What will you take in through the eyes, the doorway, so to speak, into your life? Will it be light or will it be dark? So the application is quite simple. Eyes look. Eyes take in information and pass it into the brain where it shapes our actions and it shapes our responses to what our eyes are taking in. Therefore, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to look at what we're looking at. We need to listen to what we're listening to. We need to think about what we're thinking about. And you can write that down and you can ponder that philosophically. We need to be aware of what we're consuming. We need to be aware of what we're taking in. For as a person thinks, so are they. And what we dwell on. So therefore, how do we let light in? There are a number of ways. I want to touch on just two brief ways that we let light in. The teaching of Christ. The light of life. Firstly, we spend time with the one who is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And how do we spend time with the light of the world? We spend time in Scripture. We spend time in His Word. Last week, I quoted from How to Be Filled by the Holy Spirit by A.W. Tozer. In that same book, in the final chapter, Tozer gives some very practical examples of how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the Word of God. And I love what he says. Listen to this. He says, seek to know him in the word. It is in the word that we find the Holy Spirit. Don't read too many other things. Some of you will say, well, look who's talking. Well, go ahead and say it. I don't mind. 
But I'm reading fewer and fewer things as I get older. Not because I'm losing interest in this great big old suffering world, but because I'm gaining interest in that other world above. So I say, don't try to know everything. You can't. Find him in the word. For the Holy Ghost wrote this book. He inspired it and he will be revealed in its pages. What is the word when we come to the Bible? It is meditate. When we come to the Bible and meditate, that is what the old saints did. They meditated. They laid the Bible on their old-fashioned handmade chair, got down on the old scrubbed board floor and meditated on the word. As they meditated, faith mounted. The spirit and faith illuminated. They had nothing but a Bible with fine print and narrow margins and poor paper, but they knew their Bible better than some of us with all of our helps and commentaries. Let's practice the art of Bible meditation. Now, please don't grab that phrase book and go out and form a club or a home group or a Bible study. Don't do it. Just meditate. That is what we need. We are organized to death already. Let's just be plain Christians. Let's open the Bible, spread it out, and meditate on it. It will open itself to us, and the Spirit of God will come and brood over it. So be a meditator. I challenge you. Try for a month and see how it works. Put away questions and answers and the filling in of blank lines about Noah. Put all that cheap trash away and take a Bible. Open it. Get on your knees and say, Father, here I am. Begin to teach me. He will begin to teach you. And he will teach you about himself and about Christ and about God and about the word and about life and death and heaven and hell and above all about his own presence. Now that's not to knock Bible studies where we fill in blanks about Noah. That's not to knock the resources we use to dive into the word. But do you hear that invitation and that plea from Tozer? If you want to get to know God, if you want to get to know his word, then spend time and meditate in his word. As the psalmist says in Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a light to my path and a lamp to my feet. There is light in the word of God. Get into the word of God. Get into it daily. And don't think for a moment that a quick five minute check off because I read two chapters, now I can go on to face the day is sufficient. No. You and I need to learn to develop the habit of spending time in the Word. I'm reading a fascinating book at the moment called The Power of Habit. And it keeps blowing me away because I keep arguing with the author and then I'm proved wrong and I'm doubly offended. But the author points out that more than 40% of what you do every single day is habit. You don't even realize. A cue happens and you respond to that cue in habit. And most of them, the reason you do it is because there's a reward afterwards. Even brushing your teeth. There's a reward in brushing your teeth that you don't even know about. You can come and ask me afterwards. It's got no point here in the sermon. But the point is we do things out of pure habit. So why not form the habit of spending time in the Word of God? Because it's in the Word of God that we meet the Word, Jesus Christ. And when we hear and we respond, that's when light fills our life.
And indeed, in that Matthew reference, that's when light shines out. How do I fall and dwell on the light? I spend time in the Word of God. And then secondly, I worship. You know, our purpose, our vision, our desire as White Rock Baptist Church is to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ, comma, worshiping God and growing in faith to impact the world. Our desire is to worship God as this community of loving hope in Christ. And as we worship God, we know that we will impact the world around us. Now, when I say worship God, I don't mean three songs just before the sermon. That's only one type of worship. Some of you worship out in nature. You need to get into the forest. You need to get up into the mountains. You need to go spend time just soaking in it. And it leads you into that place of worship. For some of you, you could think of nothing worse. But maybe for you, worship is listening to a beautiful, well-crafted piece of music. And you can just close your eyes and you can hear each instrument and each note as it's played. And it leads you into that place of glory and worship. My friends, if you want to dwell on the light, put yourself in a place of worshiping the light, of worshiping Jesus Christ, of worshiping our eternal and holy heavenly Father. When we worship and we put ourselves in that place of worship, that's when the Spirit begins to change us. And that's when the Spirit begins to fill us with the light of Christ. Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. My friends, I would echo the invitation of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't compel the choice. Jesus doesn't force himself upon us. Jesus simply says, I am the light of the world. Those who listen to my teaching, those who do as I say, Those are the ones who experience the light and who walk in the light and who reflect the light. You are free to choose just as much as you are free to reject. But know that when you reject Christ, you are not free from the consequence of that choice. And you are not free from escaping those consequences. It might be that you have never made that decision Yes, I accept Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as teacher. And I want to model my life on his teaching. I would encourage you, spend some time in prayer and cry out in receiving that. And if you do that, we would love to walk with you and explain what that means. And maybe put you through the waters of baptism next month. Choose and choose wisely. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that not only are you the light of the world, but your words bring light. Your teaching gives light. And if we would listen and do what you teach, this world would be a different place. 
God, forgive us. Forgive us who claim to be followers of Christ, who claim to be your disciples, yet we do not do as you say. The world longs, the world watches, the world questions when we get it wrong and when we don't. And so again this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, come and help us to respond to your teaching and to respond to your word and to do what you invite us into, knowing that, yes, it's the ones who hear the word of God and who obey it who will be blessed. Father, I pray for this congregation this morning. I know there are those in the midst of this gathering who have never chosen to walk in your light. And perhaps they've assumed they have, but they've never said, yes, Jesus. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would open their hearts. That they would hear the words of Jesus as recorded in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And if anyone would open to me, I will come in and eat with them and dwell with them. And Jesus, I pray right now that hearts would open to you. For those of us who at one stage perhaps did open our hearts, but we grew cold and calloused. Oh God, help us again to accept and to receive. And in so doing, may we live in light. For you are light. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And together as your children we say, Amen. Amen.